Men in black, real or not, the answer might surprise you. Are you hot enough for the movies? And the doctor responsible for the very first ever C-section birth. Who it is might be a bit of a surprise. I got that. Lots more stuff coming up here tonight. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. I, strangely enough, am Jay Sheldon. Yes. <laughs> Welcome in to all of our viewers, listeners on the podcast, and our viewers on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble. Dot com where we are live across the planet and uh, also uh, the audio part of our show as we always tell you is a podcast you can find that on wherever you get your podcast later on or right now or whenever just pop up to your apple podcasts or spotify google podcast radio public wherever and search for the jay sheldon show that's the logo right there and uh, just Click on it and click follow or subscribe. We really appreciate that a lot. We're doing very, very well. Hundreds of downloads every week in, uh, in, our, uh, in our show as it pops up. We're on three days a week, so it's cool. Lots of content, lots of stuff going on. We got, uh, yeah, we, got, uh, we have a, a kind of a weird mishmash tonight. Uh, I had one story that I actually took out of the show because I'm going to save that for a week from tonight relates to an anniversary that's coming up one week from tonight. So we'll talk about that later. Right now, we'll talk about our favorite little furry girl. Miko Update. Yes, indeed. The Miko Update. It's doing well. No uh, big deal. We were actually, I was out very early this morning. I've been up since like six o'clock in the morning. And I had a shoot today. We were shooting a television commercial for Oliver Shoes in Australia, uh, shooting here in Malaysia. And uh, so we had a very early call time. And the first uh, location was right here in my neighborhood in one of our parks. So uh, that uh, was rather convenient. But uh, anyway, I had to go out so early, I, did, I wasn't able to take Miko for her walk this morning, which is not a good thing. Uh, anyway, my uh, significant other uh, took, uh, took her out for a walk. And they stopped by my location shoot. So all my cast and crew and everybody got a chance to meet Miko. And uh, some had met her before. And uh, it was great. She was so excited to, uh, to see me uh, at the shoot. And she went crazy. So, yeah, she's doing very well. And uh, she's downstairs refusing to eat her dinner once again, waiting to be hand-fed. Uh, don't ask. It's a prima donna Miko thing. It's just the way she is. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, if I look even more tired than usual tonight, it's because I've been up since six o'clock this morning. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the shoot went very well and client very pleased with what we came up with. So uh, now we'll put it all together and go from there. So if you see a uh, an Oliver Shoes ad on the Internet somewhere, that was what we were doing today. All right. The men in black. And no, I am not talking about Will Smith. I'm talking about the actual men in black. The recent Hollywood block, well, it's not recent anymore. This article is just from last month, this year. But it says the recent Hollywood blockbuster Men in Black, an entertaining piece of science fiction. Uh, the film's plot, of course, if you don't know Men in Black, who doesn't know Men in Black? Are you kidding me? 
If you've never seen it, you got to see the whole bunch of them. I love every one of them. They're fantastic films. Uh, it involves special agents that investigate extraterrestrials, unidentified flying objects. Uh, but the root of the film, the story behind the film, actually lies in strange encounters with actual, real men in black. Real men in black encounters have been reported for over 50 years in the U.S. and not just the U.S. You don't have an exclusive on this MIB thing. Uh, as with all UFO theories, nobody knows whether these people are fact or fiction. In 1956, that is a long, over 50 years ago, uh, American author Gray Barker published a book on the subject called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And he was the, well, one of the first to really re reveal the existence of the men in black to the world. Look, you can believe in this stuff or not. I'm a big UFO believer. Uh, I, I just think the science says there's no possible way that we can be alone in the universe. Now, have they come to visit our little planet, this little s smaller than a speck of dust in the overall universe of things? I don't know. Are they from another place in time, in space, another parallel universe? All of those are possibilities. I strongly believe they're out there. Uh, whether they want to be bothered with us or, us or not, you know, I mean, likely not. But it would be nice, and especially nowadays, we've had that, uh, yeah, E.T. phone home. Hey, Aldwin, good to see you. Hey. <laughs> uh, anyway, the real men in black are claimed to appear after someone reports a UFO sighting. They're strange-looking uh, men wearing black suits and hats, and they're said to be either extremely short or extremely tall, and often will wear wigs and obvious makeup. They're also said to arrive in either very new or new-looking old-style Cadillacs. So it's the old style of Cadillacs, but they look like they're brand new. Uh, they claim to be either from the CIA or one of the other three-letter alphabet soup agencies, and they usually will question or interrogate the UFO spotters and threaten them not to reveal anything they've seen. Uh, the men then mysteriously disappear about as quickly as they appeared. Uh, most of the theories regarding these men tend to lean towards the fact that they are not human beings, but they are actually aliens. Now, the theory obviously can't be proved, and there have been some 40 documented encounters uh, with men in black. Another theory that was put forth the article reports very real agency, a one of these black ops, black budget agencies that nobody knows about, and they say it's called the Office of Scientific Investigation and Research, OSIR, OSIR. OSIR concerned with all things scientific, including the paranormal, the supernatural, and the metaphysical. OSIR is said to have special... Phenomenology Division that deals specifically with extraterrestrial life, believe it or not. They also deal with unexplainable incidents like crop circles, ancient mysteries, 
and the distortions of space, and I assume also time. It also has links to, it's said to be staffed by the world's scientific experts and linked to numerous intelligence agencies, again, the CIA, the NSA, and all those other crazy people, and offices around the world. So there's more in this article. Check it out. Read the whole article. The link's in our show notes tonight. That's the description down below. But uh, yeah, the uh, the men in black, whether or not you uh, you believe them or or not, uh, you know, that's your own personal call. I think, like I said, to me, I don't know how they could not be real with the numbers out there, the amount of planets we've found. And, and by the way, the James Webb telescope is... I think hours away, if not already, have just today or tomorrow be producing its first ever images of what should be absolutely incredible, the clearest images we have ever had of our universe. And I am so, I'm so, I'm like a schoolgirl giddy over this thing because I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to space and ETs and uh, and telescopes and all that stuff and moon landings and things. But uh, yeah, this James Webb telescope, search it out. It's an easy search on a search engine or if even on Facebook, you can search. They have a web page and uh, they are moments, literally moments away, if not already, from releasing the very first images from that uh, telescope which should be absolutely incredible. All right, just briefly, this link is also in our show notes. It's an article from anomalien.com. I know, I know, it's one of those mm, sites, but it's a good article, and I included it for that reason. Mystery of the Real Men in Black. Researchers are sure they're not humans. Ufologists tend to take the problem of men in black seriously, Now, the most common version is that men in black are cyborgs, bio-robots sent to Earth. This is starting to get a little weird. By aliens to cover up the obvious traces of its visits by unidentified objects, as well as to neutralize those. You know, here, look at the beam. Uh, That's a men in black reference, which if you've seen the movie, you'll get it. But anyway, those are a little too zealous about talking about spotting UFOs or aliens. They, they will come down and do a little neuralizing on you. <laughs> anyway, this one is, is, I put it there because it's kind of fun. It takes the whole thing extremely seriously. I don't know whether we should or not. It's certainly something we ought to keep an eye on. But uh, it's got a, just one story from this article back. Now, this is, this is not just in the last, you know, since Roswell. 1880, 1880, New Mexico resident Jerome Clark and Lucas Farish told from the pages of the Santa Fe Daily in New Mexico that on the evening of March 26th, they saw a flying ship in the form of a cigar equipped with a huge propeller. Kind of sounds like a dirigible. Anyway, they said there were 10 passengers in this open gondola of the strange ship. It turned right, left, changed speed, descended, soared up, at times flew all the way down to the ground. Uh, Witnesses claimed the ship's passengers waved at them and shouted something in an unfamiliar language. In general, their behavior similar to that of people in a state of intoxication, 
the article said. Apparently, it was also reflected in the chaotic flight of the ship, and one of the passengers threw several items overboard. Now, the editors, this is 1880, remember. The editors of the newspaper suggested the flying ship was nothing more than an airship. And back in 1880, they were already making some very early first flights in, in airships, dirigibles, you know, like the Hindenburg, things like that. Oh, please, you got to know about these things. If you don't or if you're not old enough, please look it up. It'd do you some good. Anyway, uh, the very first flights were practically uncontrollable because they hadn't managed to figure out steering. Uh, and they couldn't maneuver it, uh, certainly the way that was reported by Clark and Farish in this newspaper article. So who knows? But yeah, the, uh, the whole idea of UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomenon is what they're calling it these days, UAPs. Uh, it's not a new thing. As far back as even 1880, well over 100 years ago, uh, they've been talking about this stuff. So it's been around a while. If I find these kind of stories, I like to share them out there because I'm always interested in extra. I know when they came up with that uh, that uh, infrared forward-looking radar uh, of the Tic Tac and uh, the other UFOs that the U.S. military acknowledged, they didn't know what they were fascinating stuff absolutely amazing anyway the links to this article are in our show notes i can't encourage you enough to check them out some of those pages have tons of ads just click past them and and read the article it's rather cool all right hang on it's coffee break time by the way miko merchandise first link in our show notes you want to pick up some show merchandise this is not one this is the company that i work with studio voxel (laughs) anyway hmm I am still waiting for my new Jay Sheldon Show merchandise to arrive. I've got a coffee mug, a t-shirt, and a ball cap coming. So hopefully that'll be here. I can wear them on the air and you get a chance to see them. But if you'd like yours, just go to that first link in our show notes description down below and uh, check out all the Miko merchandise. It all features our little Shiba Inu Miko and, of course, our, our show logo on there. All right. Are you pretty enough for the movies? Are you handsome enough to be a talent in a television commercial? You don't have to be. I made this post, and it came up in one of my memories on Facebook, and I thought, you know, we haven't talked about this on my show before, but we should, because it's something I get this question all the time when people find out I'm in film and television and online content. That, you know, they always say, oh, you know, I'd love to do something, but I'm not, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. This is what I wrote in this. Let me, let me put the picture up while I, while I read what I wrote. Whenever I'm doing casting for commercials, this is me talking, or films, I'm often asked about careers in the business, how to start, if I think they're good enough. And I hear from so many young, talented people who always seem to discourage themselves. They talk themselves out of it, out of a career, when you could very well have one. They become their own worst enemy. Learn the craft of acting. Don't worry about what you look like, how pretty you are, how handsome you are, how perfectly aligned all your facial features are, and how sculpted your body is, and a six-pack, and a big chest, or a gorgeous butt, whatever it might do. Stop it. Stop it. Learn 
to act. Not looking pretty. It is about talent. I'll say it again. Talent. Acting talent. Not your looks. Take a look at these pictures. Again, if you're on the podcast, check out our video stream or there is a link in our show notes to this. Willem Dafoe, Danny DeVito. Look, take a look. Christopher Walken. All these people. Again, sorry, but I'm just speaking the truth here. Ugly as sin. Marty Feldman. Probably way on the top of that list. All of these incredible actors and actresses whom you no doubt know 90% of them and not one of them is Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt. They are all in... Yes, I love Willem Dafoe too. You're exactly right, Aldwin. He's amazing. Uh, Some of these are just the most amazing actors and actresses on the planet. And you know them, and they are famous, and they've had incredible careers, and continue in some cases to have careers, and not one of them would win a beauty contest, just to be honest about it. But they can act, and that's what gives them their career, the ability to act. And by the way, if you want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, some people are going to be pissed off, I don't care, it's my opinion, you do you, I'll do me. If you want to be in theater, learn to theater act. Learn to act for the stage. I've done both, on camera and in theater. Acting for film is a completely different ballgame than acting for theater. It is. One of the problems we have is that a lot of the actors have been theatrically uh, trained, It doesn't translate. I cannot tell you as a director how I have to back down people and get them to stop projecting to the guy in the last row of the theater and to realize that when that camera is in for a close-up, it is right in there. When your image is up on that movie theater screen, you have a six-foot-long eyebrow. So when it moves, it's... Yeah. It's just one of many things. But please, if you want to do theater, learn to act for theater. If you want to do film, television, learn to act for film and television. They are two different beasts. They are not the same, and they should not be in the same room. And if you are in theater and you want to move to film, you need to throw out everything you know, start from square one, and learn it all over again. It would help a lot of the actors and actresses who appear in a lot of our films here. A lot. But anyway, I cannot encourage you enough just because you think you're not pretty enough to give up on a career in film, acting of one kind or another. And these beautiful faces here are exactly the support for my argument. If you want to act, act. Learn to act. Learn to act well from a reputable person or academy or school. But don't give up because you don't think you're pretty enough, or you don't think you're handsome enough. That's the evidence, all the evidence you need. Oh, man. All right, what else we got to rant and raving? 
gripe about. <laughs> yeah, my friend Andrew posted this. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, it's very cool. Uh, Dr. James Berry. It's a very short little article. Links in our show notes. You want to read it or you can even share it out if you want. It's a public post. Uh, Dr. James Berry. That's a picture of him right there. Finished, well, it's a painting of him because it was a long time ago before there was photography. He finished school at 22 years old and rose in the ranks as a British army surgeon. In Africa, Dr. Berry performed one of the first successful C-sections where a mother and child survived. In Canada in 1857, Dr. Berry became Inspector General of Hospitals and made improvements for the poor. When Dr. Berry died, after an absolutely remarkable career, the Army tried to suppress all the records of Dr. Berry and shut down access to all of Dr. Berry's records for 100 years. Why? Because it turns out that Dr. Mr. James Berry was not Dr. Mr. James Berry. She was Dr. Miss James Berry. Margaret Ann Bulky was her real name. She wanted to be a doctor so bad, she disguised herself as a man and had that incredible unbelievable career, including performing the first successful C-section in Africa. And the army tried to shut down all access to her records when it discovered that Mr. James Berry was actually Margaret Ann Bulkley. How about that? Ha! Huh. Yeah. Elwin says, woman dressed in drag just to save a woman's life and a baby's life. Well, uh, not just... <laughs> because she had a whole lot of other amazing accomplishments in her career, but she did that too. So yeah, I wanted to share that because it's a very cool story and shared out by, uh, it's from Beautiful Mess, a woman connection group on uh, Facebook. You can check out the link. It's in our show notes tonight if you want to read it yourself or just share it out on your page. Why not? All right. And uh, of course, we usually wind things up with a good news story. And strangely enough, this kind of goes back to our very first story about men in black. Kind of. This is such a cool... Oh, man. This is not from Malaysia. This is... I believe this is from the U.S. Yeah, it is from the U.S. Um, Zane Hashim. Hey, Zane. Hello. A hearty hi-ho round of applause to you. Nice to see you in the stream again. I'm sorry I missed your hello in our last stream. I didn't see it till after the show was done. I was in the middle of the book and all. So anyway, yes, Zane, good to hear from you and good to have you along. Be sure you follow and subscribe. And uh, by the way, just a general reminder to everybody, <clears throat> this show is also a podcast. You can take us with you. If you don't get a chance to watch us live Monday, Wednesday, Saturday on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or Rumble.com, uh, you can carry us along on your walk or your jog. Uh, just go to Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts or Stitch, uh, Radio Public, Stitcher. Uh, we're on all the platforms. And just look for the Jay Sheldon Show, this logo right here, popping on the screen. And uh, just click, click on it, click follow, subscribe, whatever, and uh, they'll 
put it in your shelf, your library of podcasts. You can listen to each one of our shows. It goes up, the audio part of this show goes up about half an hour after we're done with our live uh, broadcast. Okay, our last story is a good news story. We always end with some good news uh, before we get on to our book, and this is amazing. Uh, There is a a religious belief uh, that does not allow you to wear costumes. It doesn't say what this young fellow's religious belief is. I can't think of a religion that doesn't allow you to wear costumes. Hey, thanks for the like, Zane. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, But anyway... This little kid, Justin, uh, was not allowed to wear costumes, and they were having a uh, a Halloween party. Uh, So let me show you the picture here. Talk about men in black. And uh, let's see. Okay, over here, this this guy in the shirt and tie, this is Justin. Well, his friends... Okay, Justin isn't allowed to wear a costume because of his religion. So, Justin and the rest of the boys brainstormed and came up with an idea that would work without having to exclude anybody. Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the President of the United States and his Secret Service men. <laughs> Now, that's some creative thinking. I love that. They, uh, this little kid here was not allowed because of his faith to, uh, to wear a costume. So all of his friends who were allowed got dressed up in what looks like men in black suits or Secret Service suits, and they went as the president of the U.S. and his bodyguard Secret Service agents. We love that. That is some thinking. Outside the box, guys. Excellent. Brilliant. Again, I put the link to that picture in our show notes. It's, you've already seen it, but you might want to share it out among your friends and stuff and help celebrate the good news once in a while. Why not? <laughs> we got to. There's too much bad news these days. All right. Uh, as you know, we do books on this crazy broadcast, and uh, we've done all kinds. They come to us from the good folks at the Gutenberg Project, uh, which is gutenberg.org. I believe there's a link in our show notes to that site. And you can find all kinds of classic books. They are all free. There's no subscribing or anything. You just go over there and check it out, gutenberg.org. And it's where we get all of our books for. They're, they're all in the public domain. And we've done The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, uh, The Little Prince, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, we did so many books here, The Velveteen Rabbit. And uh, right now we're doing Sherlock Holmes. Each chapter in Sherlock Holmes, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, is, uh, is a different mystery. And so we've worked our way through a couple of them now, and uh, we are get, we are about three quarters of the way through our next mystery, and I am going to continue on with that in just a bit. I hope you've been following along, if you have, uh, because they just laid out all of the problems and issues with this particular mystery, and... Uh, once they got everything laid out... Mr. Holmes said, thank you, folded up the paper, returned it to the visitor, and now you must on no account lose another instant. We cannot spare time even to discuss what you've told me. You must get home instantly and act. Uh, 
Remember, this is the story of the five pips. What shall I do? Well, there is but one thing to do, and it must be done at once. You must put this piece of paper which you've shown me into the brass box which you've described. You must also put a note in to say that all the other papers were burned by your uncle and that this is the only one which remains. You must assert that in such words as will carry conviction with them. Having done this, you must at once put the box out on the sundial, as directed. Do you understand? Entirely. Do not think of revenge or anything of the sort at present. I think we may gain that by means of the law, but we have our web to weave while theirs is already woven. The first consideration is to remove the pressing danger which threatens you. The second is to clear up the mystery and to punish the guilty parties. I thank you, said the young man, rising and putting on his overcoat. You've given me fresh life and hope. I shall certainly do as you advise. Do not lose an instant, and above all take care of yourself in the meanwhile, for I do not think that there can be a doubt that you are threatened by a very real and imminent danger. How do you go back? By train from Waterloo. It is not yet nine. The streets will be crowded, and so I trust you may be in safety. And yet you cannot guard yourself too closely. I am armed. That is well. Tomorrow I will set to work upon your case. I shall see you at Horsham, then. No, your secret lies in London. It is there I shall seek it. Then I shall call upon you in a day or in two days, with news as to the box and the papers. I shall take your advice on every particular. He shook hands with us and took his leave. Outside the wind still screamed and the rain splashed and pattered against the windows. The strange, wild story seemed to have come to us from amid the mad elements, blown in upon us like a sheet of seaweed in a gale, and now to have been reabsorbed by them once more. Sherlock Holmes sat for some time in silence, with his head sunk forward and his eyes bent upon the red glow of the fire. Then he lit his pipe. Leaning back in his chair, he watched the blue smoke rings as they chased each other up to the ceiling. I think, Watson, he remarked at last, that of all of our cases, we have had none more fantastic than this, save perhaps the sign of four. Ah, yes, save perhaps that. And yet this John Openshaw seems to me to be walking amid even greater perils than did the Sholtos. But have you, I asked, formed any definite conception as to what these perils are? There can be no question as to their nature, he answered. Then what are they, and who is this KKK, and why does he pursue this unhappy family? Sherlock Holmes closed his eyes and placed his elbows upon the arms of his chair with his fingertips together. The ideal reasoner, he remarked, would, when he had once been shown a single fact in all its bearing, deduce from it not only all the chain of events which led up to it, but also all the results which would follow it. 
as Cuvier could correctly describe a whole animal by the contemplation of a single bone, or the observer who has thoroughly understood one link in a series of incidents should be able to accurately state all the other ones, both before and after. We have not yet grasped the results which the reason alone can attain to. Problems may be solved in the study which have baffled all those who have sought a solution by the aid of their senses. To carry the art, however, to its highest pitch, it's necessary that the reasoner should be able to utilize all the facts which have come to his knowledge. And this in itself implies, as you will readily see, a possession of all knowledge, which, even in these days of free education and encyclopedias, is a somewhat rare accomplishment. It is not so impossible, however, that a man should possess all knowledge which is likely to be useful to him in his work. And this I have endeavored to do in my case. If I remember rightly, you on one occasion in the early days of our friendship defined my limits in a very precise fashion. <laughs> yes, I answered, laughing. It was a singular document. Philosophy, astronomy, and politics were marked at zero. I remember. Botany, variable. Geology, profound as regards the mud stains from any region within 50 miles of town. Chemistry, eccentric. Anatomy, anatomy, unsystematic. Sensational literature and crime records, unique. Violin playing, boxer, swordsman, lawyer, and self-poisoner by cocaine and tobacco. Those, I think, were the main points of my analysis. Holmes grinned at the last item. Well, he said, I say now as I said then, that a man should keep his little brain attic stocked with all the furniture he's likely to use, and the rest he can put away in the lumber room of his library where he can get it if he wants it. Now, for such a case as this, which has been submitted to us tonight, we need certainly to muster all of our resources. Kindly hand me down the letter K of the American Encyclopedia, which stands upon the shelf beside you. Thank you. Now, let us consider the situation and see what may be deduced from it. In the first place, we may start with a strong presumption that Colonel Openshaw had some very strong reason for leaving America. Men at his time of life don't change all their habits and exchange willingly the charming climate of Florida for a lonely life of an English provincial town. His extreme love of solitude in England suggests the idea that he was in fear of someone or something. So we may assume, as a working hypothesis, that it was this fear of someone or something which drove him from America. As to what it was he feared, we can only deduce that by considering the formidable letters of which were received by himself and his successors. Did you remark the postmarks of those letters? Uh, the first was from Pondicherry, second from Dundee, and the third from London from East London. What do you deduce from that? They're all seaports. The writer was on board of a ship. Excellent. We already have a clue. There can be no doubt that the probability, the strong probability, 
is that the writer was on board a ship. And now let us consider another point. In the case of Pondicherry, seven weeks elapsed between the threat and its fulfillment. In Dundee, it was some three or four days. Does that suggest anything? A greater distance to travel? But the letter also had a greater distance to come. Then I don't see the point. There is at least a presumption that the vessel in which the man or men are is a sailing ship. It looks as if they're always sent their singular warning or token before them when starting upon their mission. You see how quickly the deed followed the sign when it came from Dundee? If they'd come from Pondicherry on a steamer, they would have arrived almost as soon as their letter. But as a matter of fact, seven weeks elapsed. I think those seven weeks represented the difference between the mail boat, which brought the letter, and the sailing vessel, which brought the writer. It is possible. More than that, it's probable. And now you will see the deadly urgency of this new case, and why I urged young Openshaw to caution. The blow has always fallen at the end of the time which it would take the senders to travel the distance. But this one comes from London, and therefore we cannot count upon delay. Good God, I cried, what can it mean, this relentless persecution? The papers which Openshaw carried are obviously of vital importance to the person or persons in the sailing ship. I think it's quite clear there must be more than one of them. A single man couldn't have carried out two deaths in such a way as to deceive a coroner's jury. There must have been several in on it. And they must have been men of resource and determination. Their papers they mean to have, to be the holder of them who it may... In this way, you see, KKK ceases to be the initials of an individual and becomes the badge of a society. But of what society? Have you never, said Sherlock Holmes, bending forward and sinking in his voice, have you never heard of the Ku Klux Klan? Ooh. Ha! That's where we're going to leave it for tonight. Very cool. All right. I, I knew that was going to be it. I just knew. Uh, just so you know, I don't read ahead. I discover this stuff as you discover this stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're all in the same boat when it comes to these books, folks. <laughs> all right. We'll continue with this adventure of Sherlock Holmes uh, coming up on our next stream, which will be on Wednesday night. We will see you again live, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Thanks, everybody. And uh, Aldwin, I definitely follow you if you have an Instagram account. I do have an Instagram account, but I don't remember what the... I think it's in our show notes. All my social media stuff, and I think Instagram's there too, is uh, scroll way down in the description down below our show notes, and you'll see all my social media there. Getter, uh, rumble.com, uh, my Twitter. Uh, they're all down there, and if I'm not mistaken... Uh, Instagram's there too. If it's not, I'll put it in the next stream in our show notes, but I'm pretty sure it's there. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us for tonight. Thanks so much. Enjoy uh, the rest of your work week. Uh, Monday.
<laughs> I will see you again Wednesday night at 10. I'm Jay Sheldon, and this is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Good night.